You're listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick. I'm Hamish. And I'm Scott. And this is the first podcast for 2020. And uh, you'll notice that, uh, yes, new music. I thought, why not? A uh, bit of a cheesy uh, intro. <laughs> I chose. Uh, everyone's laughed at it so far, but uh, and also we've got this is the first episode with a new uh, audio recorder. I've stopped using my iPhone, which is a great thing because that was getting a, the limitations of that was getting a little bit uh, annoying uh, with background noise and things like. That. So hopefully this will be a little bit. This will be coming to you a little bit uh, clearer. Scott, you want to talk about the process or what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Yes, it's one of those topics that is fairly personal, I guess, but very important. Uh, we've talked about a lot of knowledge-based uh, ideas over the last 38 episodes, but really when it comes down to it, um, all the best ideas in the world will lead you nowhere if you really aren't prepared to go through what you need to do to be a startup or an entrepreneur. So this is more going to be to do with the psychological really is. aspect of being an definitely, entrepreneur. Definitely. What I've found that works for me uh, doesn't work for everybody, but it uh, certainly seems to be a common tr- uh, thread through successful entrepreneurs that I've met. Yep. And, and you know, when it comes right down to it, the underlying thing that I think is more, more prevalent than anything else is gumption. You know, you really have to dig in to do this stuff. You really have to live your life for it and focus in on it. It takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of um, concentration to keep the track. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like playing chess every day of your life. You, you make a decision and it has to lead to the right outcome. And if you know you have to think about all the options because there are usually hundreds of options and take the right one. So as in chess, you make the wrong move. It can cost you a lot of money in this business or it can lead you to a failure or it can lead you down the wrong path. But I mean, that's the whole point of having this network around us of good people that we've gathered over. That's one of my biggest assets is all my, my people around me. And we've tried to get... Your pawns. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I, it's a real team effort. You Sorry, know, that was I, a joke. I, I always put... Uh, I mean, that's half of this podcast is about sharing that information and getting people in who know their stuff and can give you these golden nuggets that really are hard to find elsewhere and mm. guide you to the right right outcome so well also can I just interject there I think that's the other what I've learned from working with entrepreneurs too is some of them get information overload and I think also too they get advice overload and I'm working with someone at the moment and I is well it's my opinion that he is getting advice overload I, I think there's a there are a lot of people in his ear and I try try always to keep that in mind when I'm talking to him because I think I know where he's at there's a lot going on. There's a lot being thrown at him. He's, he, there's so much to deal with uh, and there's so much new, so many new concepts to, to think about and everyone, let's face it, has an opinion. Mm. But I think the most important thing is to always, I'm sure that's what you're about to get into, is how do you centre that? How do you say, okay, well, what do I want? You've got so many people, whether it's an accountant, a lawyer, a marketing person, you know, someone like me or someone like Scott. Yeah. We've all got our own experiences, but the problem with that is we can sometimes then when, when we're having a quiet moment like in our office or wherever it is, we think, oh my goodness, what do I do with all this information? I think that's probably one of the key areas where people have to uh, be very certain what yeah. the outcome is because then that will help you make your own decision yeah. based on what you want in your value system, if you want to put it that way. Good advisors is one of those things. I mean, you know, the amount of times I've had graphic design companies look after graphic design for me and... Uh, the client loves it, and they take it home, the wife hates it, and all of a sudden they're back in square square one. You know, really you have to rely on your 
Oh, well, your, sorry. Your well, advisors, if, if we're looking, okay. Um, well, so the advice you get, you got to you got to filter it. Don't just take advice off anybody. If they haven't had experience in it, they're probably not going to be very wise. Some people just are very wise people, and they'll just say something that just gels with you. But if it doesn't gel with you, you know, mm. you've just got to prioritize your inf- your information input. I guess that's what you're saying too. Well, I think too, uh, again, I don't want to steal your thunder with all this. I can see you've got a thousand notes there, which is valuable information. But if we go back to just that point about graphic design, and that relates to even things like naming and also uh, brand design, is you have to have a brief. If you're going and asking a whole load of people outside of the project what their opinion is of that particular element or that particular strategy, if they've got no idea what the actual objective is, that you're trying to achieve, well then all they all they can do is give you their personal opinion. So it's a bit like going into someone and saying, hey, look at this new piece of art, what do you think? Oh, I hate it, or it's crap, or it's, oh, I love it, oh, I love the pink, or no, I don't like the pink. Well, hang on, what is the pink for? Is, it, is that there for a strategic reason? Yeah. Is that to do with a competitive yeah. colour wheel, for instance? And yep. There's all these little elements that people have to consider yep. that rather than going to people and asking for advice of course, ask everyone you can for advice if you want, but there should be a brief. doesn't matter what you're doing. Design brief, even with what you do, there is a design brief. You yeah. spend more time doing a brief than you would probably doing the project in the first few weeks of a project because otherwise, what are you doing? You're just mm. sort of designing something and going in 10 different directions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, but my, my, um, my uh, focus on this, this little podcast is more about setting yourself up for success as an entrepreneur and you know are you the right person to be an entrepreneur <laughs> you know the dictionary says an entrepreneur is a person who sets up a business or businesses taking on financial risks in the hope of profit that's pretty it's pretty sterile but it's actually quite correct you know you you know without without risks i mean this is what probably differentiates a lot of people and i've read um, articles about you know the history of entrepreneurs who who were they when they were kids and they they found that a lot of a lot of entrepreneur, entrepreneurs climbed trees as kids. They were they were risk takers to start with. So risk is a very big part of entre- entrepreneurship. And if you're not really up to risk, and it, you know my account, my ex accountant, uh, he used to look at me and go, I don't know how you do this. You just must run on adrenaline every day. And I do, I do. That's why my cholesterol's hot because I run on adrenaline. And there's physiological results of that. You're running on adrenaline because you there's so many things to consider. Now I do my own projects and clients' projects, so I've got their their things to consider and my things, and they, and all these decisions I have to make, same as the chairs thing, they have to be correct. Mm. And you know you do make mistakes, but ninety nine percent of those decisions have to be correct, or you you're costing people money, or you're costing yourself money. So there is a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. So I guess that's if you're starting into an entrepreneurship, and, and we have been pretty pragmatic with our with our podcast, and I don't want to really scare people off being an entrepreneur but I do want to make sure they know what's how to how to manage the process of being an entrepreneur and what sort of person it takes to be an entrepreneur um, I also think too if I just mention I, I think entrepreneur as a word is uh, thrown around far too much I think there are a lot of people that just get into businesses and someone will call them an entrepreneur I'm not sure I think I think there's a lot of a lot of people pushing forward in life and it and maybe entrepreneur covers a lot of ground Possibly. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what I meant, but I'm not trying to discredit anyone that calls themselves. I think the other side of it too is I think it, it's one of those terms that the market eventually gives you. I don't think you wake up one day and say, "I oh, that's what I want to be. I, I, my title is now entrepreneur. I don't think that's 
in my experience, it's not how it works. Someone wakes up in the morning, if that's we want to simplify that story, uh, and they say, I want to improve something, or I can see an opportunity in something, and they just get on with it. Yeah. Then the market might call them an entrepreneur after yeah. they've succeeded, but there's a lot of groundwork that's done. There's a lot of what like you're about to you know mention as well. There's a lot, lot of things that have to fall into place. So that's why that's the only reason I say it's bandied around. It's a bit like that, the silly term influencer, and I, I call it a silly term because some people say, "Oh, I want to be an influencer." Well, you need content to be an influencer. You don't just call yourself an influencer and hope everything falls into place. You eventually mm. become. That is the outcome. You mm. know, if you do everything in in a certain way that allows you to uh, be seen as an influencer, which means people are you know contacting you and saying, "I want to." I want you to help me with uh, with opportunity. Well, then, yes, you are. But yeah. you, you don't just have say fifty followers and say oh, I'm an influencer. It's like yeah. no, that's not how the world works. No. So I think that's where the there is some misunderstanding there uh, yeah. or misuse of the term. I think that's it's. it's well, I think it is actually much. broader than than that that definition. I mean, another another famous saying is entrepreneurship is the living <coughs> is <coughs> living a few years of your life like most people won't so that you can spend the rest of your life living like most people can't. And so in that respect, even a sports person, you know, mm. somebody puts a lot of energy in the background when they're not making any money at all, artists, all these people who really put a lot of, I mean, if you knew the process I went through to get my industrial design degree, there was so much effort and so much I put aside and sacrificed for that. That, that in itself was an entrepreneurship. Um, people who spend all their lives as youths, you know, running around the country making no money playing amateur sport to become a, you know the very few elite to make money out of it singers mm. artists band members guitarists all these people they're taking a risk and putting aside and living you know well below the poverty line sometimes in order to eventually live on the other end of it mm. so that is an entrepreneurship as well I think but anyway that, that, and there's there's so many things 60% like of businesses fail in the first three years you know, ninety-seven percent of all patents never make it make money. One percent, and that's mainly because a lot of these things. Uh, there's one one percent inspiration, and the rest of it's just bloody hard work. Mm. And if you haven't set yourself up for that, and your family sometimes, if you've got a family, like it's okay for you to live below the poverty line um, when you're single and you're younger, generally, uh, in order to achieve something. Like that. But you have a, a family now, and you decide to become an entrepreneur, and you start putting all these, you know, lifestyle habits in place that your family's not up to, mm. that can cause a lot of pressure on a family. So I guess I guess my, my thing here is um, pretty much to try and set yourself up in a way that you know, like map out what's coming. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to do a startup, it's going to be so much focus required. You're going, it's going to take time off your family. And we are very, like, like success, success in life, if you, if you go through and you have a great entrepreneur venture and you win there and you lose your family well is that success i'm not sure i don't think it is mm. i think you to try and balance and, and and if you give yourself a heart attack and or you know an aneurysm from the stress is that success i'm not sure it is so you want to try and keep the balance for me i, I have a very strong I, I turn my phone off at six when i get home and i that's family time i i try not to think about work wherever i can uh, when i'm with the family because it can really be distracting and I too try and uh, balance, I do a lot of thinking, so I try and balance that with fitness. So I'm, I'm a very active person, I've always been an active person, and I find that is a very good stress reliever for me. Mm. I go out and just do things um, fairly extremely to try and balance the sitting in the office thinking all day. And I think those sort of balancing acts 
are very important for an entrepreneur. Mm. So th- I think you know if you can um, if you can take that on board as a bit of a bit of um, advice from someone who's done this a lot and also seen a lot of it and seen people who are successful. A lot of the entrepreneurs who I know are successful have a very strong family life and they, they focus on that. They're very good at seg- uh, segregating important things. They can turn off, mm-hmm. very important. You know, if you're gonna be on holiday, be on holiday, leave the phone off. You know, everything will be there when you get back, if you, if you can. There's certain time, but you can't. Well, I think that, that's you the know, problem, problem these days. You, I mean, you, you take your, your work is in your pocket. It is, days, and it's in your hand. Yeah, I mean, it, I must have it, but we went to, <laughs> on a family holiday uh, beginning of last year and I was working from two till five or to two till six well, trying to get some things done they just had to be done yeah and uh, I, I but think then I turned off at six yeah. I was with the family so. but what you're, what you're saying there though, I'm just to add to that I, I don't think there's a problem if you take your work because the thing is if you love doing it then it's, it's not you know, there's a whole thing is it actually work mm. you know so if you enjoy doing it and you've got a, a, a big project let's face it you can't just switch off completely for two weeks that's insanity you just mm. can't there's, there's things coming in there's things that have to be dealt with but if you can what you've said there is you simply structure it as long as you have a structure and the other important thing too is to have a good support network so family or friends or people you can talk to. I, know, I was talking to someone, I think it was uh, Alan um, Morris who I was talking to last year. Mm. He admitted that he, uh, and he hasn't got a problem. <laughs> Great guy. Hi, Alan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he said he, he regularly spoke to a psychologist just to keep him in line and yeah. keep him uh, thinking about uh, things, you know, uh, give him perspective. That's mm. what it was for. Nothing mm. else, just to get perspective. Yeah. So, and he's also got a mentor. I remember. And this is just coming back from you know remembering what he was talking about. I think that. I mean, he works for other companies, but he himself is entrepreneurial, I suppose, in what he was doing, like you are, Scott. Uh, so he's got those checks and balances in place. And I think that's the key thing to take away is to have those checks and balances and a structure. So it's having that routine and having that discipline, but having the support. And I don't think they're all mutually exclusive. You mm. have to have it all there. Yeah. As a, it all has to be thrown into the pot. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of mentorship. I, I like to surround myself with people who think the same way as me and doing the same under the same sort of stresses and challenges because then you don't feel as isolated. I mean, it's a very small group of people who actually, well, it, it, I guess entrepreneurs is probably a bigger group, but inventors particularly mm. are a very, very small group of people. And... If you can surround yourself by people who are similar in that respect, go through similar changes, you don't feel so isolated. So I think that's important. You've you've also, I mean, you've got to be doing it for the right reason. Um, I've got a project that's 16 years old, and you know, if I was doing that for money, money reasons, I would have canned it the first six mm-hmm. months. Um, but there's a real social change I want to want to Im, Im, implement to the world, and if, if I can achieve that in my lifetime, I'll be happy um, to have done that. So I think if you're just doing, doing it. I mean, I mean, a lot of the entrepreneurs I deal with aren't doing it just for the money. They want to make an improvement in life. And then they've got to, you know, the, their focus is far greater and they've got a driver that allows them to see past all the small hurdles. So there's thousands of them. And you have to have patience. I mean, I'm a very impatient person. I want things to be done. You know, I want to push and I drive and I push and I drive to the point where I've, you know, given myself serious issues in my past from stress. Mm. Um, I've learned at 51 now to to tame that down a little bit and realise what's important in my life. My mum, when I was very young, I had my first business business when I was 10 and my mum used to say to me back then, just take a look around, slow down, chill out. You know, you're young. And only now I'm just realising how right she was. Uh, but I do, I do, I do, I'm a very balanced sort of person now. I do enjoy 
everything in life. Mm. And I think that's very important. You can't just be about money or about a business or whatever. It's a very small part of your life. Um, but also, you have to be patient. Um, most businesses that I've started or been involved with, it takes, it takes at least two years after getting your product to market, not just developing it. It might take you two mm. years to develop it. Two years after being on the market, selling your first product to even start making a profit. There's just so much to learn, so much to implement, so much following together, so much momentum to gain that within the first two years, and it can be, well, I've got friends who run a concrete truck, you know, it can be two years of just trying to gather a, a database and mm. people who know who you are. Um, and then five years to make a profit. That is generally what happens in business. So if you're ex- going out there expecting to make money in six months and dump your job into whatever, it's very unlikely that's going to happen. So I always say, I mean, you know, I have the consultancy and I do my other projects. I've never quit my consultancy to do the other projects. I have to have a cash flow. So keep your job. Mm. Yep. Maintain your job and run the project. Yeah. Don't well, give up your job because you're not the, going to make money straight away. It is funny you say that because most of the entrepreneurs that I've worked with in the last 12 months have pretty serious day jobs as well as their invention. And I think those people have been, I've noticed some of them, that the ones that have given up their job immediately and jumped into what they think is going to be, you know, make a million dollars in the, in the first six months, they're the ones that you find are very impatient and very stressed because they've put all their eggs in one basket without a support network yep. and they fast learn. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I, and I, you come across these people, you just end up coming halfway through their startup phase, if you like, and they're just realizing that you know, oops, it's uh, this is going to take. This is a long-term proposition. But yep. the ones that are have got their heads, I suppose, uh, they're a little bit more stable in that in their thinking. Uh, they have kept their day job. That's what I've noticed. So that's a, another key thing. There is maybe that's what the balance is: is how can you do what you're what you're proposing to do uh, with keeping a stable income? You know, yep. so that's something definitely to look at. You don't have to just quit and then do something else. It's not black and white. You could maybe form a support network to help you for like using someone like Scott, for instance, to say, okay, I don't have to sit here and stress about designing it myself. Uh, I can hand some of that off. Can I do that? And yeah. I think that's a very important really part important. is to relinquish some of that yeah. uh, control, if you like, is yeah. to try and involve people because that's really the way to push things forward. I think that most the most successful projects I've seen, they planned ahead and they made a budget for it and then they fulfill it. Um, and they, they become the director. Mm. You know, they direct people who know what they're doing. Um, you know, it's really good to have a plan. You can't really do a business plan at this point. You know, it's just it's just all speculative, all new. So um, expect change to happen. Don't expect things to go as you wish. You know, <laughs> man plans, God laughs. You know, it's, yeah. it's so true in this industry. This is This is not black and white stuff. It's not like, you know, you've got a mathematical theory to follow and you're going to, you know, end up with, two at the end of one plus one you have to follow a path and the path will deviate as you learn from the market what you're trying to achieve and i was just going to say i think that's what you have to embrace is everything that you do you almost have to measure its effectiveness based on what you get back from it so it's that cause and effect so if you for instance a lot of people will put all their eggs into one basket and say oh i've put an email out to my my database and i didn't get a good response so that's obviously it's failed it's like well no hang on you've just done one email, or you've done one Facebook campaign, and you didn't get the response, well, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You just keep moving. And same with even putting a product into the marketplace. Yep. You've done everything you possibly can to make sure that it's going to work. However, uh, what I've seen, and obviously, Scott, you can comment on this too, is 
it, you'd, you really have to use the 80-20 rule. So you can't do that, obviously, if you're patenting something. It has to be spot on. Mm. But what I mean is you've got to launch it and all the marketing strategy and all the branding that you've done may have to be adjusted as you move forward because yeah. the market will respond to what you've put on the shelf. And then you have to move with that. You've got to listen carefully. Again, this is taking advice. This is taking unsolicited advice. Yeah. But with the market, they're, they're the ones with the money. They're the ones that will either give you their money or not. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to work. You've got to be reading that market all the time and say, okay, what are they responding to? What are they not responding? How can we improve as we go? So yeah. nothing's black and white. Nothing's. There's no sort of one, two, three, four, five step, yeah. and that's it. We're rich. It's you go from step one to step three, back to step two. Uh, we're launching, ooh, uh, might have to go back to step three again and adjust some things, then go back to step five on the shelf and then just keep moving around and seeing how you can always incrementally improve. Yeah. But just do it, but learn and move as you have to. So. Yeah, well, you sort of have a, a fail, fail, quick, fail early. And oh, that's right. Learn that's and right. adjust, you, had a, you know. It, yeah. really, it really is important. Mm. You know, it's okay to get the wrong answer and then adjust. Mm. You must adjust to it, especially with marketing. Um, well, marketing, yeah. marketing is easy to adjust. That's that's the thing. I think that's yeah. why I should really clarify: is product design not so easy to change? Like tooling is not. If, you, if you're looking at it from that perspective, obviously not easy to change tools no. or, or cheap. But marketing can certainly be changed. And that's why we fail early in all the concept development, all the research. We make sure that by the time we get to tooling, we've done all that. Um, checks and balances, and, and hopefully at that point, I mean, you'll always learn something from the market once you produce a product and put it on the market. They might like the colour, they might change things, but they're not major changes, hopefully at that point. You've done enough research to make sure you're on the right track. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess I guess these sort of things aren't talked about very often. You know, st- stress can be a big part of this thing. I've, I've actually, you know, it wasn't the main factor, but there's, you know, one of my clients had a divorce um, through the pressure of doing what, what she was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, as I said, wasn't the main factor, but it certainly contributed. So the stress levels can be very high. Uh, there's no, I mean, people, you know, built a house. That's a fairly simple thing to do when you consider how many times houses have been built and you, you see, develop, <laughs> you know, budgets blowing out and time frames blowing out by double. You yeah. imagine trying to develop something that's never been done before. Mm. You know, you have to be patient and you have to accept that it's not always going to go as planned and just roll with the punches. You mm. have to learn, you know, that manufacturers are getting it wrong. I've just had 37,000 parts made for myself I've been doing this for 20 years and more and they're all incorrect and I've specified everything correctly this all out of my control and mm. you know what I can get all upset and jump up and down and it'll do me nothing but give me an ulcer yep. and so I just have to roll the punches adjust my my uh, expectations and make it make it work longer term mm. and I think that's that's where the, the real stress comes from is if like you said before if if you're creating something which has never been done before or you're doing it in a completely different way every day you're sort of you're operating in the dark so you've got to get used to operating in the dark or using a very small torch in a very dark large room is is that you're not going to be able to see everything every not everything's going to be immediately uh you're not going to be able to get clarity on everything straight away and i think that's what you've got to be prepared for in a lot of these exercises is you have to be comfortable operating in the dark. So you've got to feel your way. Yeah. Uh, not everything's going to be obvious. And if you go and ask questions to cert- to some people, you know, like I've seen so many times, is you say, oh, well, you, you're lost. And you say, well, oh, geez, I really, what do you think about this? You know, I'm operating in the, you, you don't say that, but, you know, I'm operating in the dark. What do you think? Oh, and they'll say, well, this is my perspective. This is my take on it. But, but they're coming in on something that you've been thinking about every single day 
for maybe a year and all of a sudden you're getting all this advice, you've got to be very careful with how you use that advice. So yeah. certainly you can get some ideas from it, but you've got to trust your gut instinct, I think. That's that's what yeah. I've learned myself is you've got to, often your gut instinct is pretty good. You know, depending on how much experience you've got, you can sort of say, oh, yeah, okay, that's... Then it comes back down to, you know, from the brief you talked about before, if you know what you're actually trying to achieve, then the information you... Be a, be a sponge, absorb as much information. And well, the things, brief. Will ring, things will ring true to the brief. Yeah. If they're ringing true to what the brief is and, the, and that's based on what the market wants, then you're on track. And if you're hearing things and not ringing true, they won't sit with you. And so yeah, that's how you use your filter, I guess. Always go back. And, that, and that's why I think we talked about before. The way I start a project is I find out what the market needs, define those things, what, we, what we're trying to achieve, and just block them into my memory. That is then the cornerstone for everything I do after that. And the same thing goes with your project. You're trying to achieve this, and everything you hear will either ring true to that or not. Mm. So you've got to be careful and learn to filter it, put the filter on for that outcome. Yep, excellent. Excellent. Well, that's that's good. Uh, I think we might put it up there, otherwise we'll... Yeah, sure. We're people, at, uh, but, uh, it's good. 20, 24 minutes, and there it's only go. the first episode of the year. So <laughs> <laughs> got, through, got away with it. Yeah, so uh, we'll uh, talk to you next week. Magic. You've been listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick. <laughs>